Welcome to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast. I'm your host, Troy Hammond, and on today's episode, we're chatting with Rachel Fitzjohn, or Fitzy. Fitzy is the head of people experience at Kogo and has worked at Zero and BNZ and is just an all-around awesome person. She was one of the people that was mostly recommended to me that I have to talk to, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. I'm thinking that it's going to be a breath of fresh air. She's coming in first thing in the morning. Let's do this, Fitzy. Thanks for tuning in to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast, brought to you by Talent Army. It's funny that age and the kids are that now, where you're like, oh, I've got to give them some independence and let them... No, it's hard though, isn't it? Yeah. How old are your kids? So my daughter's just turned 14 the other right. day on Sunday. Oh, and wow, 14-year-old daughter. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. my son's 11. And oh, so, okay, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, right? Like We talk about leadership a lot, right? Especially on the podcast and yeah. in, in my career. And you're always trying to think, do I give enough of my attention as a parent or enough energy as a parent than I do as a leader? And do, oh, I, yeah. do I have coaching moments with my kids? Do I have these things where I sit down and go, just because you're my children, I'm not going to take my frustrations out on you and be short and you know, annoyed, but I'm going to sit down and give you my full attention. Mm. And it's probably only became, until I became a decent leader that I qualified that I think that I became a better parent because oh, of that. I, I couldn't agree more. And I have that battle in my head as well. Like In terms of the patience that I want to exert at, at work and the working environment with people, um, respecting all the differences, respecting the different challenges and the role, the important role that I can play. Mm. If it's like listening, which despite me being a chatterbox, I can listen to sometimes as well. Um, <clears throat> but also just giving really good advice and then going home and being a bit like, put your stuff away. <laughs> and you think, no, 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 I've really got to try it. You know, I've got that skill. So I just need to exercise it in a slightly different way. And I have found the same thing as I've gone on in my career um, in more senior sort of people roles and I've met such a variety of different people. You know, both of my boys, of course, are quite different personalities from each other and from me. And I'm now able to sort of use some of those skills. And the poor boys, they're like, this is a real over-explanation, mum. Yeah. Like, they'll be like, what about, what's the, you know, what's the meaning of life? And they're like, right, settle in, boys. We're going to really talk about this. Um, but I love the fact that I've got that open dialogue. And it's, mm. it's, it's... How old are your boys? So they're 11 and 9. Oh, they're cool ages. That's, yeah, that's good ages. That's where they start asking cool questions, right? Oh, and right? some of the questions from my, from my 11-year-old Rowan are just outstanding. <laughs> Have you had the sex question yet? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, how did you go with that? Uh, oh, very well. I was very, um, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to hide away from it and um, I mean they're probably embarrassed about how much detail I went into but yeah. I was like please use the correct terminology and if you're going to ask me a question I'm going to tell you the truthful answer to the yeah. best of my ability. I remember my mum saying to me um, that I asked you know probably some similar age I imagine um, you know where do babies come from or something like that and she made up some stupid story about storks and, and the pelican <laughs> Okay, that's yeah. a vision. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, coming in, it was all very nice. And um, and apparently I went, oh, okay, and I walked away and then I came back and asked again. And mum said, you didn't really know the answer or maybe even understand the answer, but you knew I was bullshitting you. Yeah. You know, so that's really stuck with me in terms of, you know, the kids may be like, oh, my God, TMI, yeah. stop. You know, but it's like uh, at least they know I'm being honest. I yeah. 100% did the same thing. So my daughter asked me at nine and I went, well, let me tell you a story. And I just told her exactly as it was. And I was like, and the male puts these appendage. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and I yeah. used the right terms and yeah. named everything correctly. And she was like, oh, my God, Dad. But then I, like, I think it was six months later she came up to me and she was like, Dad, the girls were talking about sex at school today and they have no idea. <laughs> or they've explained it in a way where yeah. you're like, that is definitely not correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she was like, she goes, I had to sit down and tell them the truth. And oh. then they were horrified. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, yeah, yeah. well, that's, so that's my parenting motif is just yep. like 100% honesty at all times, yep. even when it's awkward. You yeah. know, just, just, just Lean into it. Yeah. <laughs> so you obviously have sort of this great leadership nuance, servant leadership nuance. But where did that start? Like, where did that come from? Has it always been you? Or I think, to be honest, the, the term servant leadership, um, just to sound a little bit sort of pretentious, kind of caught up with me in a lot of respects. Um, I haven't had particular, uh, like I did a 
Bachelor of Bugger All. What is it? Yeah. Bachelor of Arts, Bugger All. Yeah. Um, you know, my my father was maybe not the most, the best inspiration for me in that he always said C's get degrees. Um, I was too busy, or anything higher than a C is wasted effort. Um, so when I was at uni, I got a qualification in drinking beer and yeah. partying and all of that kind of stuff. Shout out I, to O-Week. Uh, yeah. Something right Ooh, now. Yeah. yeah, go kids, go kids. Uh, I'm old enough, I can sound like that now. <laughs> um, and it was really interesting. I just always had a real love for people and, and a real... I guess, um, curiosity around different people. I've always been a very deep thinker, which yep. as a kid was quite hard because, you know, you're not old enough or mature enough to actually recognise all of that stuff may not happen. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, when you're a young kid, those are big thoughts and you can't process them particularly well. Um but yeah, I was given fantastic opportunities though. So I always like to challenge myself in my way. Yeah. Um I did, and here we go with the vulnerability. I always felt like I was always, you know, chatty and social and the, the partying and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I did get the feeling that people didn't necessarily expect me to do much, yeah. career-wise, I guess. And so for me, it was like why, I had Why did the, you think that? I think because I was not – I don't take myself very seriously. Yeah. And so I – you know, um, I, I worked really hard and sort of hospo jobs and other things while I was at uni. So they didn't think you were a critical thinker? That or... I wasn't a critical thinker, that yeah. I was definitely, uh, oh, you know, Rachel, you know, do her best and, you know, she'll be fun, you yeah. know, and all of that. And I was like, no, I'm determined to prove that I've actually got a brain. It may just look a little bit different to what you expected. Um, so for me, it was like left university, started working at Ministry of Justice in the courts system, yeah. which was incredible. You know, I was a case manager at the Court of Appeal dealing, I was like, you know, 23, 24, dealing with like criminal and civil cases. So yeah. dealing with a lot of very interesting stuff. And of course, I would just sit there and read it all. And I've heard all that. that Ministry of Justice is a phenomenal training ground too. Incredible. Yeah. Like in terms of the things that you're exposed to, they give you basic level kind of induction and then it's like off you go you and you're dealing end. like talking to prisoners on you know on the phone sometimes because they're representing themselves you're dealing with lawyers judges yeah. general public all of that so that was a huge kind of confidence boost um and then i went to my first startup from there so how old were you when you first started when when i did i i would have been 26 27 Wow. Yeah. And yeah. so what what made you go to a startup straight away, like straight from justice into a startup? I think I wanted to, and maybe this was my social side coming out, I wanted a bit more freedom because justice was, as you can probably, and as it should be, quite yeah. rigid. Yeah. Um, and I had a friend that was working at this place and it was a recruitment. This is Haynes? This is Haynes, yeah. yeah. So this was a recruitment advertising company and um, – and they were looking for account executives and it was all people my age and and the management was quite young at that point now. Like, no disrespect, they're all old like I am now. Yeah. Um, but it was just I wanted a little bit more of that. What, are, what does the other side of the coin look yeah. like a little bit? Um, and the amazing thing about that is that there were some really seasoned people in there that had been involved with Haynes for a really long time. They have a good legal team there too. They sent me a cease and desist at one stage. Oh, did they? <laughs> did you... I'll tell you a quick funny story oh sidebar, God, s- sidebar here. Um, so what was that campaign that they did? They did for oh, Luxy. Luxy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, Luxy was so phenomenal, right? But mm. um, it was really under-resourced. I mean, and so, I was there, so yes, yeah. I know. Yeah. So I kept getting all these candidates approaching me saying, hey, I've been Googling startups and Telenami keeps coming up because no one from Luxy's calling me. And like, oh, there'd be a guy who was head of product at Facebook and, or there'd be a lady who was like senior engineer, like lead engineer at Google. And so I thought... You're like, I'm not going to ignore these people. Yeah. So I thought, <laughs> how do I get into this database? Yeah. And so I rang Haynes and said, hey, can I get into the database? Hello. And they went, oh, sorry, conflict of interest. No, you can't. And I went, okay, cool. And then so I just forgot about it. But then I was presenting at a recruitment sourcing conference, mm. and someone said, "Oh, can you show us um, like ethical, like hacking, and how you can do, you know, like?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah. Well, there's this currently there's let's this give look-see, it a go. there's this looksy campaign happening." And I said, "So let's quickly jump onto Twitter." And I just live streamed this on the conference, and I looked at Twitter and I said, "Who's tweeting about looksy?" And so. I saw, and I won't mention the pe- pe- person's name, but I saw a few pe- people and I went, okay, let's use her email address. And so I just guessed what her email address was. And then I said, most times it's going to just be a password, Luxie. And so let's just use oh Luxie. I got in the first time into the database. <laughs> and so then I didn't actually do much with it, if I'm honest, because yeah. once I got in, I was like, oh, crap, oh, I get to go. Better get no, out I'm of shitting this. myself. Yeah. <laughs> but then so many people reached out to me off the back of that that yeah. – um, 
that I, I ended up placing a lot of these candidates. And so the one and a couple that came over for the campaign ended up mm -hmm. getting jobs through Talent Army. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they, Haynes were pretty annoyed at me. And yeah, but, you know, we're all, it's all, it's a bit of a shit fight sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's a small city and... It was an amazing campaign. Oh, incredible just, ideas. I don't like, think they really realised how idea. big it was going to go. Yeah, yeah. and that classic thing of, like, that, that sort of founder startup mentality of, like, I've got this idea, yeah. we're probably not properly resourced, but we're just going to give it a whirl, yeah. you know? And they did, and it was fantastic. And I think that that really opened up um, a lot of sort of employers, especially in Wellington, but New Zealand generally, in terms of being open to overseas candidates. Oh, so then when we, like, lent into COVID, it was like, no, 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 we're familiar with this, we're comfortable with this, we know how to do this. And yeah. immigration, like, um, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying, I guess I'll find out if I get a letter in yeah. a few days. Um but they had a really, really good partnership with Immigration New yeah. Zealand, and I think that that was a huge part of making it successful was, you know, anyone hears about immigration stories, you know, and I've heard through the grapevine that a lot of people trying to deal with Immigration New yeah. Zealand find it quite challenging because yeah. uh, there's a lot of people that want to come here. So to partner with Immigration and to make that sort of relationship quite easy was, I think, the absolute clincher. Yeah. So they were very smart. Like, they had some great and ideas. Honestly, they put Wellington on the map. You know, for the tech industry yep. globally, yep. it was media everywhere. Yep. Fantastic. Credit where credit's yep. due. Oh, so, 100%. So how big was Haynes when you started? Uh, about 40 people, yeah. yeah. So I started as an account executive, so booking ads and like <clears throat> had my own portfolio of clients and, and sort of working through that. Um, huge, um, really busy, really intense. That sort of real work hard, play yeah. hard thing, like Friday night drinks were just absolutely debauched. But like I was like in my early 20s, I was yeah. like, yes, I can survive anything. Uh, as long as I get three hours sleep, I'll be good. Um but that was huge. And then actually it was the chief executive at the time, um, a guy called Dave, was like, we want to recognise our sort of emerging leaders, you know. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, you're one of them. So we'd like to put you on this programme. Um, Haynes had recently had um, been purchased um, in part by the STW group in Australia. Mm -hmm. And they had huge amounts of resources. And so, yeah, I got fast-tracked onto this leadership programme. Walked into this leadership program in Hunter Valley. I mean, fantastic. We just don't do that place. kind of stuff yeah, anymore. And, um, and I had a huge amount of reassurance because I walked in and I was like, oh, my God, is this not natural to everyone else that this is how you behave as a leader? Like, or this is how you treat people or how you respect differences or yeah. all of that kind of thing. So I was like, oh, okay. And that was like the first time I thought uh -huh. I have got something. Yeah. And whatever it is, and I don't know what it is yet, um, I know that I'm good with people and I've got a natural sort of ability to understand how to behave and yeah. how to respect people and that kind of thing. So that was cool. Really cool. Awesome. Um, and yeah, and then I moved my way through different roles at Haynes, which was awesome. Uh, um, Damien Sainsbury, who's now currently the CEO and has been for a while, he um, he was instrumental in my career in terms of just... I've heard a lot about him, actually. He's really good. Yeah. He's really good. And he, in terms of guidance, like, you won't get a lot of like hands-on guidance from him, but he will always back you. Yeah. And so it was up to me to go, okay, I'm shitting myself sort of know what I'm doing, sort of don't. But he would always be like, off you go, you know, you can do it, and this is your job title, and it's a big job title, and this is what you're responsible for. And I was like, yeah. right, well, I make the choice. Do Cause I? Because you, you grew into the general manager, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I became yeah. general manager eventually. I started um, as I worked in the sort of ops and HR stuff, which is where I really, you know, cut my teeth on the, some of the people stuff. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I went off and had a baby, my first child, Rowan and came back and within sort of three months of coming back he said I want you to be the GM and I was like oh my god look at me pushing through this glass ceiling <laughs> yeah. oh my god and um and I just felt so I mean I probably shouldn't feel indebted that's maybe not the word um I would want to use but at that point I did because woman in leadership I just come back from having a baby well, this is, this it is was so thing. important yeah, yeah. Like we, talk, we talked about this a little bit on the podcast mm. in that like women coming back from having a baby come back with like a knocking confidence, right? Yeah, and hugely. And I did. I had yeah. postnatal depression as well. So I was also – then I didn't know that's what it was at the time. Yeah. But it was. Um, and, you know, benefit of hindsight and all that, look back and like, oh, you poor bit, what, what were you dealing with? Um, but that helped me get through it was yeah. that, that boost in like my partner at the time was like, great, you can do this. And in my essentially my mentor and my closest professional confidant, Damien, was like, you, you can be this. the GM. Awesome. Yeah. But that's yeah. what we should do, right? Just have confidence 100%. and back people to say, <laughs> you probably, you know, you might not have all the answers on the first mm. day. Because and you it, won't even know what you're doing half yeah. the bloody time. And a lot of it is, 
I guess what I realised as well is no one knows what they're doing all the time. Yeah. And that was a massive revelation for me. And I guess why that sort of ties for me so closely, it's so closely linked to that sort of vulnerability and leadership yeah. and that servant leadership kind of stuff. Wait, let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Right? So in your, like you've had a pretty amazing career. You've seen some cool companies, big, small, yeah. you know, large, mm. perceived amazing companies, perceived smaller companies. Why do you think leaders wear this mask of, I've got all the answers. I'm. I know I'm right. I, I know things are okay. Mm. I just follow me. Everything's going to be fine. Without just being honest and authentic and vulnerable. I think that's a really good question. I think there's a couple of points to it. I do strongly believe there's a lot of generational divide going yeah. on. So I'll say that is the backdrop. But I think the major point for me is a lack of confidence in themselves. Yeah. The reality is I've become more and more vulnerable, more open when I fuck things up, basically, yeah. or I get things wrong, or I'll apologise, or I'll say, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I We're a team, we, yeah. and this is why we need a team. So I think a lot of it is that that mask. It's like that thing of like, stiff up a lip, I'm fine, I'm not going to cry, I'm fine. Yeah. It's like the reality is you probably need to bore your eyes out, and if you did do that, you would actually be so much better off for it. And so I think I can now yeah. spot it as well from a mile off of like that's a lack of confidence there is power in apologizing to your team so much there is so much power in walking into a room and saying you know what team i didn't do that right and i apologize i'm going to make sure that that's better next time yeah or just pulling them aside at an appropriate time and saying wowza that was a massive clanger from me wasn't it and and i appreciate you not calling me out at the time you should have and i'm happy for you too um but yeah an apology is huge and in terms of sort of um you know, I could rattle on about different sort of um, models of looking at well-functioning teams and yeah. the dysfunctions and all of that kind of stuff. I love Patrick Lencioni. Um But it really is around that ability to be vulnerable, like that vulnerability yeah. and building that actual trust. Like we're like, oh, let's all trust each other and hold hands and we're like a family. It's like, you're not my bloody family. You've got my yeah. family at home, thanks. And with family, it's like other expectations come from that. Yeah. We're not family at work, but we do need to build that basis of trust because everything piles up on top of that. Like yeah. Without that, you don't really have anything. Oh, 100%, 100% yeah. with you. And mm-hmm. so how do you, how did you go from Haynes where you were like commercial manager, general manager, to working in a bank and BNZ at that time when they introduced their digital agile mm. people leaders. Yeah. Sounded like a phenomenal time from the oh, outside it was looking a huge, in. Huge, fantastically forming time for me. Very interesting time in my life generally. Um, I'd been at Haynes at that point and it, I mean I'd had a couple of kids by that stage. Yeah. So I'd done a few different roles. Um, to be honest, I think I was coming to the end of my run there. But my marriage then ended. And mm. so that was a bit like, oh gosh, okay, we're just batting down the hatches and you know, head yeah. down bum up for six months at least type thing. They were incredibly supportive of me during that. Um, and the, the the CEO at that time was really, you know, understanding of like, she's just going to have to get through this and how she can. Yeah. But then I started to emerge a little bit from, from the initial stages. As anyone that's broken up, it's like there are a variety of stages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wasn't at the anchor stage at that point. I was yeah. in the weird denial stage. Um, but like most sort of smaller organisations that are needing to be agile, for use of that word, but also um, pivot and respond to challenges in the market, all of that kind of stuff, they decided that my role, and I knew it, that my role just wasn't required in that current form. And I was very angry at the time, but that the advice was, you've outgrown this. Like, you've got to go and do something else. And because I was sitting in my car talking to my my wonderful parents going, I can't believe it, you know. First of all, my husband leaves me and now my job. Um, But you know what? It was absolutely silver lining, honestly. It's hard to see that in that moment, right? And that's where for me... You need to talk to people. Oh, you need to get yeah. outside of your head. Oh, because, yeah. So yeah. I went through that. My my marriage broke down. I had a new company. Mm. I had all the things freaking the fuck out oh, every day. Terrible. I yeah. used to have to give myself an hour before I came into the office just to calm myself before oh, I spoke same. to people. I was right? the same too. Yep. But then the only thing that got me through was talking to people, mm. just being getting it out, being vulnerable, talking to people, right? And, and then they'd say... You're actually a better person now, mate. Yeah. You're happier. I've never seen you happier. You don't stress about home life anymore, these things. Oh, it's, so. Isn't that so funny? Because I can relate 100% to that. You know, my relationship was great for the most part, but it did end quite abruptly and it was a big deal for me to deal with, to manage at the time. But friends of mine said, you, you know, like Rachel is back. And I was yeah. like, where did I go? Like, And I didn't go anywhere. I was like ensconced in babies and trying to be playing happy families and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is because I was like, 
shit, I've had a major life event. Yeah. This is going to make me a better person or I'm going to become an absolute asshole. Yeah. And I was like, I know there are two paths here. Yeah. And I knew I've got a real... One's easy, one's One's hard. easy and one's... Exactly. And yeah. I, I'm, look, I'm not going to knock people that get really shitty and upset yeah. because the reality is it sucks. Yeah. Um, but I thought, no, I want to be able to hold my head up high I want to be sort of as graceful as I can through this. And I've also got two kids. So it's like I need to set an example for them. And I knew by default I was setting an example for the people that I worked with because they knew what what I dealt with. And I thought, no, I want to be proud of myself. And I want to be a happy person at the end of it. And now... Here I am. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> so then you're in this weird time where you, your marriage has ended, your yep. job's ended. Mm. It's really easy to run down the path of feeling sorry for yourself yep. and hating the world, but yep. you chose to go to a big bank that was trying to transform itself to a yep. digital business yep. first. How yep. the fuck do you do oh, that? Oh, it's so fucking ridiculous, isn't it? Now I look back and I'm like, how did you do that? Like, what were you on? Like, I think I was... Still in that high stress kind of denial, weird, like floating a few feet above the ground and not in a happy way. Um, But basically my boss went overseas who had had the chat with me to say, look, I think the role's coming to an end. So I was like, right, you're overseas. I'm just going to down tools and I'm just going to look for my next job. So I did a lot of sort of reaching out via LinkedIn, which I have a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn, as I think most people do. But like I I did loads of sort of um, research on, you know, what are the best places to work, you know, there's yeah. a survey that happens as well and I thought I want to turn this into a good thing and so I want to be a bit mm. sort of I guess um, intentional about what the next step's going to be and then I saw this role people leader BNZ digital and I was like what the hell is that yeah. read the ad and I was like oh my god that's me that's me that's me what that's was me. it what was people leader digital because from the outside looking in it was like what are they doing? They're just hiring a bunch of managers yeah. in digital teams. Well, it was a massive sort of, um, I guess, shift in the fact that they were separating out engineering leadership from being able to be on the tools, so to speak, yeah. and then that capability leadership piece. Because, you know, and I've got a lot of engineers as friends, yeah. but and so I'm not meaning any disrespect, but it is really hard to actually be able to do both. And I'm certainly not going to be able to jump on the tools anytime soon, but what I yeah. can do is understand differences in personalities, working styles, neurodiversity, yeah. all yeah. of that stuff. And so they were like, right, it's it's we've got a lot to deliver as an organisation, um, we were sort of feeling a bit boomy in terms of money, and so they just invested a huge amount of money into transferring it into sort of agile sort of team fun, delivery. Fun. And Great. so I show up and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I am here for it. Yeah. Um, and I met these people uh, who were my colleagues, who I'm still still are my friends today, and the diversity across us was just. It was so impressive to me. It was a cool time from like yeah. everyone I spoke to. Mm. I mean, the, the developers, I was trying to attract developers to startup land where I was like, you know, come over here. It's awesome. We're moving fast. And they're like, no, I'm going to no, BNZ. I'm at BNZ. Yeah. And you're like, sorry, what? Yeah. You're at a bank? Yeah. Well, but the thing was, and, and I mean no disrespect um, to BNZ, but we didn't feel like we were in the bank Yeah. because we were at BNZ Digital. So yeah. we were allowed to do, we were like our own little business within the business. I remember you at the conferences, walking around with all your BNZ Digital t-shirts, like Ronan Quirk. <laughs> oh, oh, Ronan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like a little tribe leader with all these oh, people. Oh, yeah, and we're and, all like running around after yeah. him. And, yeah, yeah, no. It was great. And Stephen Bow was our GM at the time, and he was incredible. And he was a bit of a, a sort of a boy wonder as well. Yeah. So to sort of see, um, I guess, a large, you know, in some respects, you know, grey-haired organisation, you know, investing in someone like Stephen, who was a very, very young leader and really ambitious. And, co- and we were just like, shit, this is amazing. Like, yeah. this doesn't happen. And I think we were all very conscious that we were part of something that was quite big. Um, As I said, the diversity across our leadership team was incredible and we built a really... um, So can I just stop there for a second? Yeah. What is diversity to you? God, I need a sip of water. Yeah, no, so like (laughs) this is a... So we're in this age now where I feel like people are finally getting diversity, equity and inclusion, right? Well, they're getting it, maybe not implementing it yet, but yeah, yeah, right. baby steps. And I think diversity to people, like if you say diversity, you know, some people out there just go, oh, so Rachel got the job because she was a female. Yeah, isn't that box ticked? Yeah, Yeah. yeah, so what what does diversity mean? Diversity to me means um, people in the room look different, act different think different, have different experiences, have different cultural kind of um, values. Um, But for me, it's just about that diversity of thought, I think is what it means the most to me. Uh, Again, going back to my vulnerability, 
tell me if I've stuffed something up. Yeah. Tell me if I've got it wrong. Or say to me, because my nickname at work is Fitzy, it's extremely handy having a work nickname. Yeah. So if you're out in town... As an Aussie, don't you? Like, I'm well, all about the nicknames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Fitzy, it's like, if I'm out at, I don't know, drinking a wine sensibly somewhere, and someone yells out, Fitzy, I'm like, it's someone from work. Yeah, like, yeah. it's either current work or it's previous work, but it's work. Um, but no, we... The group that we had was just so incredible in terms of, again, that trust piece initially. Yeah. We did, again, because they had lots of money to throw at us. So we did lots of sort of team building ways of working sessions, roles and responsibilities, yeah. how to get to know each other and work really effectively to support people. And some people, we were in tears sometimes, you know, out at the pub afterwards, oh my God, that was so full on. But what an amazing experience yeah. because I have had exposure to, I guess, the lifestyles, views, opinions, experiences of such a broad group of people. Yeah. And so that really enhanced me as a leader. Like that, that exposure was just so was incredible. It, was it your catalyst role, do you think? To, yeah, in terms 100%. Of growth? Yeah. And so what do you say, so like a lot of engineers listen to this podcast, software engineers, who, hey, engineers are, yeah, who are sitting there right now <laughs> thinking, well, that's my fucking role. You know, like I'm yeah. growing into that and she doesn't mm. have any credibility because she's not a technical person in that space. Did you do some training in terms of how to understand and work oh. with engineers? And like, what do you, like, yeah. what do you say to that? I think that was a real learning curve. And, you know, you're looked at with deep suspicion, you know, and especially um, at BNZ Digital when I started, you know, like who are all these random people that have just rocked up from one's come from Haynes and someone's come from council or whatever. We've all come, or someone's come from the BNZ call centre. Like it was just totally, you know, crazy. And we get in there and and I had to work for it and I had to work for it at Zero as well and I've had to work for it at Kogo as well, which is where I am now in terms of you've got to build your credibility. And I'm really, I will always say, I am, what do I say? It's so funny. One of my wonderful colleagues um, and really good friends, Rachel Collingridge, said, um, you're not non-technical, you're technical adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) I love Rachel. Rachel, Rachel. I love Rachel. Love you, love you. Uh, The Collingridge and Fitzy um, party continues. Um, But yeah, it it is about... um, being patient and yeah. actually allowing them to, and me saying, if I don't understand, I will ask and I'll say, I'm technical adjacent. I do understand what you're doing. I respect what you're doing. I'm never going to, you know, ever try and say that I understand it fully, but I can support you in other ways yeah. that other people can't and allow me to sort of prove what I can do for you in terms of growing your career letting you flourish in a way that works for you. And I'd yeah. always say in my one-on-ones, and I continue to say in my one-on-ones, this is for you, not yeah. me. Like, I'm the servant here. Like, yeah. you tell me, eventually we're going to build up trust and all that kind of stuff, but you you tell me what you need from me, and I will do that to the best of my ability. And it obviously um, worked, because we, as a talent army, try to get a lot of people out of BNZ. <laughs> <laughs> I they, must have done something right. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they didn't. Like, we were trying to get engineers out because yeah. of the way that's our job, well, right? Well, like, and, and the expectation from them now, and rightly so, is to have that level of support. Yeah. And so when I went over to, um, to Zero as a capability uh, lead, it was very similar. You know, I had to sort of yeah. start from the ground again. So, and, so why did you go to Zero? Let's talk about that. Um, I mean, I'm just going to be really open and say that I wanted Zero on my CV. Yeah. It's like premier software shop. It's yeah. like a New Zealand success story. Yeah. It's um, it's Wellington-based. Even like the, the global CEO is in Taranaki Street every day, yeah. almost days. Um, that to me was just like, that's how I'm going to prove my chops. Because for yeah. me, it was like BNZ was like, yeah, okay, I did that. Right, well, I can do Zero now as well. And I walked in there and... What was the what was your impression from going to BNZ? It was fast-moving digital bank to zero. BNZ, and I may get some kind of letter, as I said again, but here we are. Um, it's the truth, is um, I walked into zero and felt a little bit like, shit, BNZ really, I will never underestimate them in terms of what they were able to achieve, how fast they ship, how fast they make changes, the way that they support their products and their people. So good. And Zero has is definitely fantastic and does amazing so, things. So you're saying Zero was a little bit behind, behind BNZ, is it? Absolutely yeah. behind. A yeah. lot of the questions I asked were, where's this role and where's this person and what do you do with that and why is this not happening? And so then I was like, oh, okay. Now I understand why I've been brought in um, because Rachel, who hired me, um, was like, oh, I know what's going on at BNZ. So I know what Fitzy, for example, has been exposed to and what she's been working on, and we need that here. Um, So I landed in platform engineering at Zero, which was wonderful, but like real sort of 
really highly technical, yeah. um, and turned it around. People were fighting to get into platform engineering towards the end. And it wasn't just me. I mean, I could say, I was just <laughs> did it all by myself. None of us do it by ourselves. Um, but the team that I had, uh, we all worked really hard together to, to turn their ship around a wee bit yeah. and, and make it a really appealing So how do you do that? How, if someone's listening right now, they're a new leader or they're in a leader, they're a leader of a team that's struggling a little bit, mm. how do you turn it around? You've got to listen to people. Yeah. You don't know the answers. and How you, do you listen to people? Good question. Um, again, it's around really focusing like the first sort of three months of my role at Zero, and actually the same at BNZ and similar at Kogo is, um, you know, I'm doing a lot of meeting people, having one-on-ones with people and not just my immediate people. I'm meeting with, you know, um, sort of similar roles yeah. within my group. I'm talking to other leaders. I'm talking to people in different business units. I'm trying to understand all the different people that are involved in a process because you can hear one person's view and go, right, okay, I'm going to run off and do something because of that. We all know that there's different stories and different contexts yeah. and things as well. So it is around having a lot of sessions with people to get a really good picture of what's going on. So most startups don't do one-on-ones, right? And Outrageous. Yeah, and so they um, – I always say to them, look, you know, use 15.5 or do something, yeah. you know, like 15 minutes. It's yeah. all, you know, just have a Go for a chat. walk, get a coffee. Yeah, yeah. Love, love the walking meeting personally. What are you – like? so why is a one-on-one good for people? A one-on-one is a dedicated, safe space. If you're a good leader, it's a safe space for people to just talk about their careers. We can talk operationally and delivery-wise and all of the different things that we're all running around like headless chickens trying to do. But that is that one almost port in the storm where it's like everything is going on and then even if it's half an hour a week, half an hour a fortnight, whatever it ends up being, that is that safe place for that person to talk about what they need and what they want and what's going on with them. And so that's why, and I said, you know, referred to earlier, that is their time. Like, I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, you're going to take the manual leave? And you, I mean, yeah. yes, of course, sometimes you have to talk about that stuff. But <clears throat> I'm not going to faff about with that kind of stuff in a one on one. In a one on one, I want to talk about them. And I want, well, I want them to talk about them. Yeah. And as, as I said before, how I can support them to achieve what they're doing. Yeah. And it won't happen straight away. You know, I've had sort of success stories with people, you know, with personal development, moving on to really cool, interesting roles. I always say as well, like, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud, God, I'm disclaiming all over the place, Hmm. um, is I want you, I will back you to do your best work. And hopefully it's here, wherever I am. But if it's not, I will also support you to do that as well. Because we, you know, you know Wellington as well as I do, Mm -hmm. Troy, like you bump into each other all the bloody time. Um, And so it's like, if you go somewhere else, that's fine. I want you to have a memory of me as a good leader because, God damn it, I'm probably going to try and poach you again at some point. 100%. And you are a a good leader. Oh, yes, and leader. You're a good leader. I'm not sure if you're (laughs) Well, you you haven't engaged my services before. Just you wait. I thought I'd do the podcast first, and then yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I um, I'm actually known as a bit of a poacher. Yeah. Uh, Again, because I you've got a great name in Wellington, and the reason so like. You, I'll just pass the twenty bucks on the table for you. So I reached out to you to come on the podcast because I was inundated with people saying, "Get Fitzy, get Fitzy, get Fitzy." Oh, that's so nice. And even my post the other day, everyone was like, "Go Fitzy," you know. And so you were obviously doing it. That's cool. You're doing it well. You're doing it from the heart. You're doing it authentically. Yeah. So what? So you moved to zero. Zero Mm -hmm. is a little bit behind BNZ. Yeah. What do you learn at zero? What are the things that you take from your time at zero? Well, it was kind of, um, and I, you know, I say a lot of the time in my career, it's a series of um, happy accidents. Like, there's not a lot of planning that's gone on. Um, but you know, a few months after I started Zero, we had COVID. Yeah. So for me, it was like, right, what's going on with these teams? And they're a little bit behind, and I need to do all these things. And then it was like, boom, we're all fucking doomed. Basically, yeah, yeah. is how we felt. You know, started off with like the jokes about, um, you know, I didn't survive the '90s rave scene to be taken out by a light beer. <laughs> That joke really quickly became quite um, inappropriate. So I I think I removed it from my Instagram. I don't know. Um, But no, it was a huge... um, I felt very fortunate to be with an organisation that is... You know, I say that they're a little bit behind, but in terms of, like, their leadership styles and the way that they approach people and approach problems, they are premier. Like, absolutely incredible. And right from the top down, so Steve Vamos, who has just left um, um, Zero recently, I think his farewell party's on Friday, I may... Pop along. Anyway. Yeah, good new hire too. She's fantastic. She's 
I mean, speaking of diversity, yes. Like, what the hell? She's going like, to be whoa. amazing. Yeah, shit. And a lot of people at Zero. I mean, Steve has a very, very good reputation. He's a really good leader. Yeah. Um, but people are really excited by this hire. It's like, like it's sending some bloody good messages to That's, that's to an A-plus hire, though, 100%. Right? Yeah. yeah. But they were really good in terms of, as I said, from the top down, from Steve down, it was like, this is a global pandemic. Yeah. Like, we don't know what this means, but we will support you and you can only do what you can do. Yeah. You know, you've got kids at home or you've got stresses or family overseas or whatever. Just do the best that you can. That's all we ask. But what it was for me was that real, um, I guess, exposure and learning around how to manage teams remotely. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden overnight, had we didn't you, have a choice. Had you done, done remote management no, before? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, sort of, but not, yeah. not at the scale at all. So we had, you know, teams, uh, I mean, you know, Zero's global. Um, and in terms of the platform engineering exposure, we had people in different parts of the world already. Yeah. Uh, and then everyone's at home in the lounge or in their bedroom or whatever for yeah. however long it was. And it was a case of, okay, well, and as I've explained to you, like people leadership's really important to me, people feeling safe, supported, yeah. all that. How do I do that if I'm not bloody in the room with yeah. them? And we're on a laptop and I'm standing at an ironing board in the bedroom, you know, like how do we do that? So, and again, the benefits of working for a really large enterprise-sized organisation, they were about they were able to pivot behind us and go, right, we're going to give you these resources, we're going to support you with coaching and training to, to be remote leaders. Shout out um, to my mate Phil Crothers. Oh, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. I love Phil. Yeah, God, he's a dude. Yeah. He is such an asset to Zero. He yeah. is incredible. And in terms of the... Underutilised, in my opinion. 100%. Just yeah. shout out to Phil. Underutilised, Zero. Sort it out. Yeah. Um, no, he's amazing. He's a really... Um, talk about vulnerable leadership like, oh, yeah. right there. He's incredible. Really smart guy. Really disarming. But incredibly passionate about leadership and, and providing the resources a hundred percent. So the moment I met Phil, I was like, mm-hmm, mate for life. Like yeah. he's a bloody good guy. So he supported us a huge amount. Um, and then came in behind us with like crucial conversations, kind of yeah. workshops and unconscious bias. And so we were still getting a lot of that really good foundational leadership stuff, but all with a bit of a remote working kind of backdrop as well. Because that that's hard, right? So like I um, I, I learned management through the School of Hard Knocks. I was really put into a leadership role way too young and had to just figure it out. I mean, weren't we all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, but I, a lot of my leadership strength was I could walk into a room and feel the culture straight mm-hmm. away, just yeah. feel it. And so, and I would look around the room and I would know. You can't teach that either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so when COVID and remote working came, I was really scared to be a leader again because mm-hmm. I thought, I don't know how to do that. Mm. And so I had to figure out how to ask the right questions to be able to get that. And so talk us through, like, what did you learn and how did you learn how to be a great remote leader? I think not assuming that everybody's circumstances are the same. Uh, I mean, and, you know, again, sort of being really open here, I was like, oh, well, I manage a bunch of engineers. They're going to love to not be dealing with anyone all the time. But no, it wasn't like that at all. And it was about approaching each situation with a completely clean slate. So I started with my one-on-ones being very, um, I guess, considered around how I managed my calendar and my time. So I would not get burnt out by conversations. Because, of course, you know, you've got... I've got broad shoulders as a leader, but you know I've got my own shit going on as well. Exactly, and and so it was a case of like thinking quite practically about how to manage my time. So for me, I got into like running. Honestly, who would have thought? Like I am not, you know. And when (laughs) I say running, like it's kind of jogging, walking, running. Yeah, Yeah. but it's great. So I do that every morning. Come back to the house and I'd have a one-on-one. I would always have a break in between the one-on-ones because yeah. I'm like I have to I have to clear that. It's like the next person that I'm talking to deserves to have a fresh version of me. Awesome, I love that. And um and during that COVID time, it was like any sort of more I guess higher level strategic work. Yes, we were doing the absolute you know, what we needed to do, but I wasn't doing my cool, fun projects that were not vanity projects, but were that like, oh my God, this is going to be great development for for me. It was like, all I'm doing is one-on-ones and and deeply operational stuff every day, just to make sure I'm available and I've got my headspace, you know, right for me and subsequently right for them as well. Yeah. 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 It was a tough time. I think. um, Bloody hard. The one thing, like we talk about startups and corporations and enterprise and government, but I think everyone in New Zealand handled that as well as they could. Yeah. The great thing about working in a bigger company like Zero, which I, I wouldn't say is a startup anymore, right? Like a scale up, stand a scale up, up, corporate, yeah. mm. and BNZ, is 
the fact that they equipped you with the skills and knowledge to be able to do that. Yeah. But then we were also encouraged to share as much as we could as leaders in our different communities and things mm-hmm. with the other leaders that mm-hmm. were working for organisations that didn't have access to those kind of funds. So the really good thing about Zero when I was there through this COVID stuff was that they were very conscious that they were well equipped. Yeah. And I really appreciated that in terms of, and you know, Phil led a lot of this as well, in terms of, um, right, well, let's share the love a little bit here because yeah. all of these people deserve, you know, everyone deserves this kind of support. Not all organisations are going to be able to do it in the way that we can. So everybody go out to your networks and like when your meetups that were all online at that yeah. point and talk about what you're doing and share that stuff around. And that was a really important aspect to me as well to go, it's all well and good to land on your feet at zero. We're like, mm. oh, look. We, and, and then we got wellness payments, you know, and I, of course, immediately bought sneakers. But, you know, you that's sne- wellness sne- for me. Sneakers. sneakers. Oh, I thought you said knickers. Sneakers. I was going <laughs> to. Sorry. Yeah. What kind of podcast is this? <laughs> My God. No, that's my no. bit of tea. <laughs> sneakers. Yeah. Sorry, Kiwi accent. Um, because that's wellness for me. Of course, Sneaker collection. running, right? Oh, running. Well, no, it wasn't. Were like they Jordans or something? Yeah. No, no, I think they were. Oh, Vegas? Oh, anyway, yeah, I can't yeah, remember what they were. Yeah. But like, because um, I got so many, uh, as a little segue. But you look good and you felt better, right? I'd sick. This is the whole thing. Like, yeah. our wellness looks different. Do not judge me. I yeah. will not judge you. Um, but as a, as a segue, my sneaker collection's outrageous. Like, I've now got the biggest pile of sneakers. My dad is a. I call him an amateur painter. He's he's an amazing painter. Calling him an amateur is probably a bit wrong, um, and he'll hate this. Peter Davy from Waikanae, a budding artist. Um, shut is, up, Peter. Um, shut up, Peter. He um, he's currently painting a portrait of a big pile of my stickers. Cool. <laughs> so maybe I'll, that'll be my constant reminder. Oh, my son is a sneakerhead, and oh. so we go to CJ Kicks and we go to all these places. Well, I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a sneakerhead. I like shoes, but I'm not a sneakerhead. Um, Are you wearing shoes today? I don't, I don't ever wear shoes. I'm, I'm wearing jandals or thongs, as oh, I would call them. Thongs. Yeah, yeah, you are yeah, Australian. Yeah. yeah. And so, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm slowly getting introduced to sneakers. And, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be a consumer anymore. I'm trying oh, I'm really hard to be better for the environment, so, which is a good segue, right? So oh, then, excellent. Look at you. Yeah. I feel like you've done this before. <laughs> I try. I try. So you are in, so how big zero? So zero is like 5,000. 5,000 people. Yeah, yeah. So you decide to leave a 5,000 people company mm-hmm. to go and join a company called Kogo. Yes. And Kogo was how many people? So we're 105. 105 now? Yeah, and yeah. Were they, so 105? Oh, like, yes, yeah, so about sitting on just under 100 when yeah. I arrived. Yeah. And so I've known of Kogo for a long time. I've known of Kogo since Cuba Street Days, Conscious yeah, Consumers. Conscious Consumers, yeah. 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 Um, There's still a bit of, you know, uh, I'm sure, completely legitimate graffiti, Kogo graffiti all over the place. There's yeah. some next to sixes and sevens. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some Tolan Army stickers around Wellington too. Oh, you know, that every I'll time do that. I'll do that. we yeah. get we get drunk and take stickers around. But <laughs> and so, what is Kogo? So Kogo is a wonderful company. So mm. we're all talking about, or not all of us actually, because I won't get into politics. But is it Maureen Pugh's like, I don't believe in climate change. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. But anyway, we most of us rational, uh, sensible people agree that we have to have some behaviour change, but uh, as individuals. And so uh, Kogo's mission. is is really to be quite pragmatic about that in terms of it's lots of small changes. People feel overwhelmed at the size of this problem. Yeah. I know I did, um, and joining Kogo, aside from all of the other things, has reassured me around some of the things I can do. So it's like, oh, my God, what do I have to sell my car? Like, do I have to do these things? And so what Ben and the team wanted to do was leverage the ability to sort of understand what people's spending habits are. Yeah. And that's not like Big Brother looking at what, you know, oh, look, she went to this shop and spent $300 on sneakers, for example. It's not about that. It's all anonymized. Um, and it, and it's, but essentially it started off with like a, you know, what we'd call a consumer app, which was around trying to target individuals to download the app to give them some guidance and behavioral insights yeah. into here's a better choice. You know, if you're wanting to buy this thing or do that activity or whatever, here's a better option. Um Ben was in London at that point with um, a very, very small group of original Kogoers. Um, and then all of a sudden, a conversation started happening with NatWest, yeah. uh, which, as most of us will know, is a pretty Huge big bank, bank um, yeah. in, in the UK and Europe. 
And they were like, well, actually, we have got, we feel as a large bank and corporate that we've got an obligation to actually do something about this too. And it's some of it's been legislated now that large mm. organisations have got an obligation to do that. Um, so classic startup style, Ben was like, fuck, okay, um, right, well, let's pivot. So then they, and open banking is a little bit more um, further down the road um, in, in the, the UK, UK and Europe yeah. than it is here, yeah. hence why our biggest, um, some of our biggest customers are overseas. But um, it was around, okay, well, we could actually leverage the data on people's spending to make suggestions to them. And they mm. can sign up or not sign up. And the bank will say, we've partnered with Kogo, who runs the engine behind the scenes, and we're able to deliver these really, I guess, uh, timely, um, thought-provoking, but really practical and and non-scary solutions in terms of these are your personal spending habits, yeah. and this is how we can make a suggestion that you, that you lower your carbon footprint. So... What appealed to me about Kogo was, first of all, um, that ability to just, I guess, not sailing close to the wind, but like there's nowhere to hide in a startup. Yeah. You know, like you're in a large organization like Zero or even BNZ, and it's just like, oh, well, I can maybe cruise for a bit, and oh, I don't really know what I did there, but oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas at Kogo, it's like, no, no. <laughs> Fast moving. Fast moving. You've got to be yep. able to pivot really fast. Yep. You can't get precious about holding on to particular things. You're probably if, wearing more hats. A thousand hats. Yep. A thousand hats. And also just um, learning so much. Like my brain has been in a constant state of explosion for like yeah. the last sort of five or six months. Because your job now is head of people and people experience. Yep. Yep. So in the old world, we call that an HR manager. HR manager, yeah. So these days, people experience or yeah, people yeah. and culture. Yep. Um, so how does one go from being a government sort of intern inductee to then working as a project manager, general manager at Haynes, to then going to be a people leader, to now Mm. being like head of people experience. To be honest, I think that there was a real understanding by people at Kogo. Well, sorry, first of all, I'll start with the fact that I will always be 100% 100% hats off to to Ben and the exec team at Kogo because they realised, even though there's only, you know, 100 odd people at Kogo, that they needed a head of people experience. Because yeah. there's a lot of organisations that are like, oh, you know, I'm a good person, I can yeah. do that. And it's like, no, 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 we want to scale. Uh, and what that requires is someone that's got the experience to be able to coach a load of different people. Yeah. And so essentially I've been brought on as like head coach yeah. <laughs> in terms of supporting our leaders to be good leaders. Because as you can imagine with an organisation like Kogo, there's a lot of massively passionate people. Yeah. Um, and they've come to leadership secondary to that. So they're yeah. subject matter experts before they're leaders, which is absolutely fine. That's how a lot of people yeah. get in there. But what they realised is, well, if we're going to scale and we're going to attract people, then we need someone in there to lead a team who can actually turn those people into really yeah. good leaders as well. Like shout out to Ben, right? So He's I amazing. remember when yeah. I first chatted with Ben many years ago, he was having these conversations with me then mm. when they were like really small, oh, all, yeah. all in that little office yep. over and wherever it was where Tuppy yep. is now. You yep. know? And I was like, this is good, you know, like this is really good and empowering his people and yep. and also like there's some nuances to Kogo. So Kogo doesn't want to um, – like in terms of their profitability mm. and in terms of like Ben mentioned something to me around he would love one day for the original employees or for the investors to buy the company back. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so- and he still feels very strongly that way. Um, we've all had the opportunity as staff of Kogo to, to, to buy in and yeah. he was, you know, I think quite visibly moved by the fact that people just did their very best, whatever their individual circumstances were, to put a bit of money in to yeah. Kogo because that's how we all we believe, believe it, it. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, the amazing thing about working for a values driven organisation. Um, but the other thing I think to point out, which I would love to hold other, you know, HR managers, head of people to to account on this, is Ben has, and the exec team and all of us leaders at Kogo have a really strong commitment to transparency. Yeah. And transparency is, is not necessarily telling everybody everything right now, yeah. but it's around being as open as we can in terms of what's going on with us as a business. So everyone at Kogo can, can see our financial model. Yeah. Everyone can see where the money's going every month. Yeah. They can see who gets paid what and when and why, who's getting commissions on deals, yeah. all of that stuff. And so you can literally go in and check it all out. Yeah. Ben will do, um, you know, summary, because strangely enough, some of us are too busy to be clawing through all of that stuff yeah. all the time. But he does do like a weekly, at the moment, because, you know, times are tough and everyone's feeling a bit on edge. So he does a weekly video basically summarising how things are going, what's going yeah. on. 
you know, we, we're like every, um, I guess, small business, you know, we don't have an infinite runway. Yeah. <laughs> like we need to get some wins and we need to be careful with our spending. But it's very transparent. And I challenge larger organisations, why are you not being transparent? So you, everyone can see everyone's salaries? Yep. How does the person who's paid the most in the business, who I know it is, by the way, who I know, how, wink, does, wink, how, nudge, does, nudge. Yep. how does he or she feel about that? Does does he or she feel extra pressure or does that, do they feel extra pressure? Sorry. I think they probably do. But we also, to be able to have transparent pay, you've got to have really good sort of competency frameworks. So it's very clear why people are on certain salaries and it can be defended and literally see in bullet points, this is what that person is doing to get that money. Um, And a bit of a plug for myself, I introduced the competency frameworks for engineering at, at Platform Engineering, which was then picked up by the wider group which yeah. was awesome and did you the, build that off with like the patreon framework or something maybe yes yeah, i did yes 100 yeah, yeah. patreon's yeah. amazing yeah. um and the other thing as well was a case because you know the question you get as a leader is oh, okay well what do i need to do to get to the next role yeah. you're like oh fluff 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 i don't know like make up a few things on yeah. the spot you're like no these it, are, should, it should be a methodical these are highly yeah. technical people and they deserve if they want bullet points you know yeah. and of course it's not all encompassing so when i got to kogo and they had the beginnings of the competency frameworks which i've been since working on with all the leaders um, since joining that's the only way you can have transparent pay yeah. is that you're able to go wow that person's earning shitloads okay well that's and because it will always say that salary will equate to that point on the competency yeah. framework and you can go and have a look and go oh well that's that's what they're doing and I agree I and, understand yeah. yeah and also I know what my next steps need to be in practical terms to get to that person's level yeah. as well the only the, the challenging thing though as well of course as a small business is that if a leader has recognized that that person has achieved you are giving them a salary increase and it is around 10 grand yeah so the commitment needs to be there in yeah. terms of if that person's done the work then you bloody pay them the money awesome i like i i think this is fantastic i'm going to ask i'm going to ask you a question so i had Vaughan Ferguson oh, yeah, from yeah. Ben on the podcast. Yeah. Um, he was in last night. Mm. We talked about this exactly. Right. And so he said, he said, we were very transparent. We showed all the numbers. We showed our burn rate. We showed everything. He said, on reflection, I probably wouldn't do it to that level again mm. because okay. it freaked people out sometimes a little bit. Yeah. And so yeah. Where, do you, where do you think the boundaries are in oh, terms and of transparency? He's absolutely right. It's hard to get it right. And we don't always get it right at yeah. Cargo either. You know, sometimes, you know, we share all the exec minutes. Like, I mean, everything is, is yeah. shared. Uh, we obviously, because we respect people's privacy, if there's a particular issue that we'll redact personal details, yeah, of course. Whatever, which, yeah. is, which is appropriate. But... I understand what he's saying in terms of it's hard to get that balance because some people will be like, yes, I love the fact that you tell us everything. Yeah. And then other people are like, oh, my God, mortgage kids. Oh, yeah. I'm freaking out. And it's like, well, um, I guess my – and that's – I think I made that point to you earlier around transparency doesn't mean telling everybody every single thing at the exact moment. Yeah. You know, it, transparency is around sharing the important information and being open and honest with people. Yeah. But you are able to manage those communications a little bit as well. And I don't – I'm – conscious that that's probably going to sound like I'm tinkering around and yeah. you know, dancing on the head of a pin here in terms of transparency but I do believe that is important I do believe that people want to hear stuff but you've got to soften the blow a little bit as well yeah. and and remember what people are going through in their personal lives and one of the biggest roles that I play with Ben actually is he is wants to share everything and I've and which is great and people love him for yeah. that and he's he's so known for that as well um But I always say, and this is not that he's not an uncaring person, because he really is, but I say, please just soften some of the language to be like, we know this is hard to hear, or this is great, but we need to think about this. And just really... um, putting a little bit of extra nourishment in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he's been riding this way for far longer than the rest of yeah. us. So he's like, oh, this is not my first time feeling like this. Um, but what we need to remind him and our other leaders is we're now a decent-sized startup. You know, yeah. We've got 100 people and we've got a variety of roles. We've got people that are entry-level. We've got senior people. All of their experiences are going to be different. But the one, the one thing that I always say to people if they're feeling a bit funny about the transparency is like, we've probably all worked for organisations where there's been a really short runway and yeah. we've just never, never fucking known. Yeah. Like, we're just not known. I'd rather, because if I, yeah. like, so I run a recruitment company that largely, 90% of it is startups that we recruit yeah. for. And so I get a lot of people that come to me and say, I want to go to a startup. Mm. And so the first thing I say to them is, are you sure? <laughs> Because it's a risk. It is. Sometimes it yep. pays off. 
Most yep. uh, most times it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you're going to feel, especially if you've got a family and you've got mm-hmm. a mortgage and you've got all these things, you're going to feel more pressure in a yep. startup than you were working at a BNZ or a Zero, for yep. example, right? There's not a lot of buffer. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think you, if you want to work in a startup, you need to be aware that you are taking a somewhat of a risk. Yep. And then so, so I think going in and then having the transparency of, hey, this is our runway and this is what's happening. You know, like for me, that's like people are rewarding people for the risk that they're taking 100%. by giving them the respect back yep. to show where the runway is. Treating them is. like adults, yeah. treating them like adults, not uh, and respecting their personal circumstances. At any time, there may be a point where we're communicating what's going on, and someone will go, "You know what? I can't do this anymore." Yeah. And that's absolutely fair. Like everyone's yep. got, as you said, have got their own personal circumstances. You're sailing close to the wind, as you yeah. said, with with a startup, and people deserve because they are putting things on the line and they are taking a risk. And yep. so they deserve that that you know that right of information back as well. The best time for a recruiter is when a company finally admits their truth, whether it be mm. negative or positive, because it's mm. like a big shocking thing that's statement that's come out. Yeah. You know, yeah. like so for example, startup doesn't talk about runway at all, says everything's great, 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 great. All of a sudden, fuck, we didn't get the VC funding that we thought. And, and everyone's people like, have yeah, so yeah. everyone, well, not even that. Like they might be still trying to get it, but mm. they've just dropped a bomb on everyone. So 30% of those people email us and say, okay, I think it's time to chat. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so if they had been transparent about mm. that process for the last six months and said, hey, we're going for funding, this is what's going to yep. happen, we'll keep you in the loop, keep yep. everything, I'd say maybe 10% would have come you oh, know, and, and chatted. So. And it goes back to that sort of pyramid analogy I was using around trust at the basis. How are you going to build solid teams to people that will deliver under pressure, that will do their very best if you haven't got that trust piece at the base. Yeah. And like part of that trust piece, especially when you're taking a risk working for a startup, is tell people what the fuck's going on. Be vulnerable. Yeah. 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 Oh, here we go. Full yeah. loop. Um, yeah. But it's true. And, and look, some people, and, and in some respects, it's ruined me because I my expectation is... Why are you not saying what people are getting paid? Yeah. You know, like I, you know, there's a few large organizations who shall remain nameless um, who actually have sent messages out to their leaders and to all their staff saying you are not to discuss your salary. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I've seen an email. What have you got to hide? Yeah, I've seen an email that I got forwarded. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like, you know, like some sort of WikiLeaks as a recruiter. I get all these emails of things. Well, you that know happen. how to hack. You've bloody yeah. proven that, haven't you? <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Like, I 100%. Yeah. That's. And for me, we, we, we talk about the gender pay gap. We talk about mm. diversity. We talk about mm. how we can help people in their careers. Really easy way is to be transparent about your salaries across the board. Yeah. And if you, like, for, like, I often use the analogy, so people sometimes feel a bit flat in their careers. And if you can see, right, like, oh, I'm stressed because I need more money. And if yep. you can see the, the hierarchy of this is what I need to do to, to make more money, it can motivate some people 100%. to take that next yeah. step. Or to hold you to account. And actually, it's okay to say, okay, well, we're going to be open about salaries. Oh, my God, that person who's, I don't know, different ethnicity, different age, whatever it is, is getting less than that white guy over there. Um, Right? Well, we will address that. Like, people understand. Like, it's not – people get suspicious when they know that they're not being told the truth. If you're actually able to say – Shit, sorry. Like, this is the first step in us being better at this is to be transparent. So we can all, as leaders, be like, Jesus, I've got some work to do with some of my salary balances and stuff like that. And actually go out and say, we are not getting this right, but we are working towards getting it right. If people... If you hide away or don't give people the full story, they will make up a far worse scenario yeah. in their head. Yeah. And, it, and, and you as a leader will be like, oh, wasn't that bad? And I'm like, well, you didn't bloody fill in the gaps. So as it, yeah. most people will fill in those gaps themselves. 100%. Yeah. So the, and I think the key takeaway here is that you have put a framework in process mm. in place mm. so that people can actually see in their face, hey, if, I, if, if that person achieves this result, this mm. is what they're paid. Yep. So it's not... It's not favoritism. It's no. not this person's just been around longer, so they got mm. more money. It's not this. It's not that. There's an actual methodology that you can focus and mm. you can look at to see why people are paid the way yeah. they're paid. Yeah. yeah. And also, it means for us that you know you will get some people that are on. You know, we've got people that earn more than Ben. Yeah. Because of their specific skills and on the competency framework, you know, it's aligned with what they what they deliver and what they provide to the business. Uh, I mean, he has, I guess, he's got different ownership stuff going on with Kogo, so maybe his salary isn't isn't the best example. But 
the reality is he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm not top of the chain, but just because I'm the CEO, like these are my skills, but this person's skills mean that they earn, I don't know, yeah. 30 or 40 grand more than me. Well, I can tell you as a recruiter for startups, most CEOs in startups aren't the highest yep. paid. Yep. And it's only really when they get to Series B, C that, that they start to, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. 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 And, and that's like, unfortunately, what we do as entrepreneurs. You, know, mm. you take a hit to, to grow a business totally. and get out of the fucking way of people oh, yeah, that are exactly. amazing, right? And look, and that's, and, and again, shout out to Ben. Um, when I first started, you know, I was like, I think two weeks in, and there was a couple of hairy situations that I needed to sort out, which happens with every business. It's yeah. not just um, not just this one. Um, and, you know, and people, a couple of people questioned, you know, oh, yeah, Fitzy's just bloody joined, and like two seconds later, she's making this change or doing that thing. And he was like, no, I back it. She's got my support. And yeah. I was like, you don't realize how important that is to me. Um, I said, because now I will confidently make the calls knowing that you'll back me. And if I f- screw it up, which invariably I will at some point, yeah. you will pull me aside and go, that's not cool, but I will always publicly back you. And he did that right from the outset. And I was like, I don't know what you're on, man, but like it's yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's, well, I'm really kidding you about on the pod. Oh, you should. Oh, I'll, I'll do some influencing behind the scenes. Oh, no, we've already had some text dialogue. But, oh, good. You know, he was like, can you be a professional guy for once in your life, Troy, and book something in my calendar in the next oh. month? And I was like, hey, mate, I don't even know when I'm going to shoot a podcast. I can so, hear yeah. the voice. I can hear it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, he's very calendar driven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he'd be great. And he's got a really, I mean, he can do a, a deeper dive into, I guess, more of the, the journey of Kogo than I can. Yeah. Um, but he's an incredible leader. I feel very fortunate to be to be part of his crew. He's yeah. a good guy. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, like, I guess, like, what advice could you give someone right now that's thinking about joining a startup or that's in a startup and feels like, you know, this whole leadership thing or this vulnerability thing, oh, that sounds fun, but I couldn't do it. Mm. Well, I think to your point, I think that any uh, startup, you've got to go in with your eyes open. You're going to be tested. You're going to feel uncomfortable. So if you are not happy feeling uncomfortable and doing quick changes and things happening around you at, at pace, then you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, I fortunately had had that experience before, and and Haynes had was a was a startup, you know, and and gave me lots of opportunities. But I knew what the personalities would be like and what the challenges yeah. would be. So go into that, but also go into it embracing the fact that you are, will be given a very long leash to do yeah. some really cool things. So leverage the people around you. Leverage the people that work for you because even if they report into you, they'll have stuff to teach you. Yeah. I often say, and I stick by it 100%, is that everybody needs to have their own board of directors. So any successful company has got a good leadership team or a yeah. good board or whatever. And on that board or on that team should be a variety of different people. You don't want all of the same people bloody echo chambering back to you all the time. Exactly. And so, you know, I always use the analogy, well, me, Rachel, I'm the CEO of Rachel. And so who's on my board? Yeah. And so it has to be, yes, my mum, who are going, oh, everything you do, Rachel, is amazing. <laughs> and, like, one of my friends would be like, God, you're a boss. Like, this is amazing. And then there'll be the person who's like, what the actual hell were you doing then? Like, what are you doing? I or fucking love have this. you thought about it from this perspective? So keep in touch with your personal mm. board members because in a startup you need that more than ever. I love this. I'm the CEO of Rachel yeah. and I have a personal board yeah. that gives me the right information. It helps me make the helps. right decisions. Oh, I love that so that's much. That's good, eh? yeah. I really love that. And that's it's quite poignant, I think, because I think people do, as you've alluded to, they're like, but what do I do? Who I feel alone, yeah. you know? And a lot of the time, um, and this was something that Damien from Haynes said to me, he said, Rach, the more senior you become and the expectations that people have, and as you pointed out, some leaders will go down the path of mask on, everything's yeah. fine, the less friends you'll have. So you'll have a very small clique of people, and I have a clique of people uh, that I'm still in touch with at BNZ, at Zero and now currently at Kogo where we have, um, you know, beer um, pub one-on-ones with each other. We're two beers and we're like, we're going to sort everything out. Um, but it's really important to have that close-knit group and to always be thinking about your board because people aren't going to necessarily talk to you as openly as yeah. they may have done in the past. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. I'm going to yeah. steal that and say that's a Troy thing. Yeah, I'm gonna... Rachel Fitz, John TM. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think... Well, Company Rachel's now on the official Talent Army Awesome Index, which Love is it. what I stole from a previous podcast. Love but it. Um, 
That is really cool, Rachel. I loved coming. I loved that you came on. You were exactly what, who I thought you would be from the, from the feedback. I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, no, no surprises. Great, no, great, it's good. I'm glad. Great feedback. Great, <laughs> honest, integral person who is humble, passionate, and authentic about growing people. Yeah. And I think the people will ask me. I've had a few people and cultural people on the podcast, and they keep saying to me, "Why do you have? Why are you getting so many like HRE people and culture mm. people?" And I'll say this to them. If you listen to every single successful founder or every single successful person on this podcast, when I ask them the question, when you look back, what was the most important? What was the things that really made it special? They all say the people. Yeah. And uh, if we, so I couldn't agree more. If we can help by putting the right people and culture experience and processes in to make people feel empowered, to make people do their best work, then we're rewarding their risk appetite that they took 100%. in the first place. And Treating so, them like humans. Yeah. And, you know, as a leader, I guess my um, final parting words would be, I am completely satisfied to bask in the reflected glory of others. Like, I don't need the glory mm. myself. I mean, except that I'm now on a podcast. <laughs> no, um, but for me, it is around being playing a role behind the scenes with people and for them to maybe not even realise straight away. Like, I've had some people that I've had wonderful sort of relationships with who you know, a few years down the track are now doing some amazing cool thing at Canva or whatever. And they look and they go, I couldn't have done it without you. And I'm like, that is the juice. Yeah. Yeah. So final question, you've probably heard it on other podcasts. What makes you happy? Being this is authentic, what, my authentic. Can I just say, sorry. Oh, I you just bloody cut me off and I was about to do this big emotional authentic. thing. Yeah. So Haynes, the reason why I ask this question is because Raj and oh, Raj Mike. and Mike, yeah, so they I used loved, to do their podcast. I loved their podcast. Oh, I adored them. Shout out to Raj and Mike. Love and them. this was their final question. And so this is my homage to them because of their, their podcast is no longer. I know. And so sorry I cut you off, but I That's thought okay. I would, with the connection there. Um, what, what makes you happy? Hi, Raj. Still love you. Still miss you every day. Um, we used to have some good pub chats, by the way, me and Raj. But anyway, that's another, another entire podcast on its own. Um, so it's leading for me it's being authentic and I believe it's possible to do that you know I believe that it's possible to have a a sort of a a business mind and know that you've got to do the right thing for the business and do the right thing for people as well it is possible to do that with integrity and um and being authentic and I I made references to it with my marriage breakup and various other things is I need to be able to always hold my head up high yeah yeah well, I'm now a paid card-carrying member of the Rach Fan Club. Thank Yay! you so much for coming Thank on. You. I see Thank why you for everyone wanted me. me to get you on. Oh, that's and cool. Yeah, happy to have an awesome day. Thanks Yay. so much. Thanks, Troy. Fitzy, that was fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on. Let's co-go. I hope everyone is really enjoying these podcasts. How can you not when you have someone as energetic and fun to listen to as Rachel was? So please like and share and send these podcasts to anyone that you think may enjoy them. We're looking forward to continuing to build this podcast. It's starting to take off now. We're really enjoying them. We hope you are too. Uh, For anyone that's subscribing and been a loyal fan from day one, thank you so much. And for all the new listeners and viewers, welcome and I hope you enjoy. This podcast is produced by John Otaka from Empire Films.